is Christian Questions. Wilhelm Steckel once said, The mark of the immature man is that he wants to die nobly for a cause, while the mark of the mature man is that he wants to live humbly for one. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Christian Questions, talk radio with a purpose with Jonathan and Rick. This isn't your typical Christian commentary. We love talking with our audience, and we promise to never talk at you like so many talk shows do today. This is a conversation about biblical topics as we look at them from a different perspective. And Rick, that perspective is based on godly principles, family values, honest dialogue, all in a politically free zone. Jonathan, the best part is this. We talk and you listen, and then you talk and we listen. And you could contact us at our website, ChristianQuestions.com. I'm Rick. And I'm Jonathan. And we're glad you've chosen to spend some time with us this morning. And Jonathan, what is the subject on this fine Sunday morning? Well, Rick, our question is, Jesus died, so who benefits? And our theme text is found in Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood, by reason of the life, that life that makes atonement. And folks, as Christians, we believe that we have been given the answer for the major dilemma of life. That dilemma is sin and ultimately death. We believe that the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus put back in balance what Adam's sin originally put out of balance. The problem, and yes, there is a problem, the problem is this. We as Christians cannot agree as to whom to apply that sacrifice to. Is it for all, every man, woman, and child who ever lived, or is it for only the few who have ever followed after Jesus? Stay with us this morning as we take an honest and scriptural look at this very big and very uh, important question. And Jonathan, this is probably one of the toughest questions uh, in terms of uh, Christian conversation and discussion. You're right. So Jesus died, so who benefits? And Rick, we need to be careful in our Bible studies not to choose and pick only the scriptures that kind of say what we want them to. And and that that's going to be one of the focuses this morning is what we're going to attempt to do is look at scriptures from a very broad perspective and also bring in perspectives outside of Christianity, those from the outside looking in, because they have a very different view of what we believe in. Oh, they do, Rick. (laughs) (laughs) A very different view. He says with such great enthusiasm. (laughs) And as a matter of fact, why don't we get started with with all of this uh, by going to uh, an atheist perspective of the scriptures, an atheist's perspective of God. There's There's a program... I don't know where it's actually broadcast. It's on YouTube. It's called The Atheist Experience. And these couple of guys sit behind a table and they take phone calls and they talk about... And they, they really belittle God and the, and the scriptures and all of that. And when you want to get a contrary opinion... <laughs> There's an easy place to find yeah, it, yeah, right? There are, those are the kinds of places that you go to because it gives you a very straightforward look at things that you would see one way in a very different way. So we're going to get a little soundbite here from The Atheist Experience... Uh, that we found on YouTube, and they're talking about uh, God and blood. Why does this God seem to have a sick fascination with the smell of blood? What magical power is there in in this that that relinquishes a, a sin? If he's making the rules, he could have made any 
loophole or any pathway to circumvent the rules. For example, if I say the rule is you're not allowed to go out after dark, and if I find that you've snuck out, I have a variety of ways for you to make amends for this, including potential punishments of you're grounded or you're going to lose part of your allowance or other things. I could say so much about that, <laughs> that whole that whole thing. I'm, we're going to refrain right now. We're going to focus on the blood part. And that's what got my attention when I was listening to this. Why does this God of yours have this, what the, he calls a sick fascination with blood? And he said the smell of blood. Right. Yeah, yeah. And so the, and, 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 and when I heard that, I started to think, okay, well, where is he getting that from? And, and there are scriptures that talk about blood as being a sweet aroma to God. So you say, okay, you can see why he would say that. Now, do we agree that it's some sick fascination with blood? Of course, of course not. No, 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 no. But what we want to do is say, okay, wh- what is there about blood that is important to God? And that's really the way we want to focus on this. So, folks, what we're talking about is we're ultimately going to be talking about the sacrifice of Jesus and actually who benefits from it. Uh, There are different Christian points of view. Some Christian points of view say it's only a very few. It's only the ones that are called out. There are other Christian points of view that say no every man, woman, and child. Uh, will benefit, and there's still other Christian points of view that says uh, that no matter how bad somebody is, everybody will essentially be almost forced to salvation at some point because they're all going to change their mind. They're all going to come back to good. So there's a there's a a wide spectrum here. We're going to weigh in on that shortly, but right now we're going to focus on blood. We're going to focus on blood from the Old Testament. And Jonathan, the the theme text you read from Leviticus chapter 17 talked about uh, the life of the flesh is in the blood. That's right. Let's go to the general context of that. Let's start with Leviticus 17, 1 through 5. And this is about the Atonement Day sacrifice uh, for Israel. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and to his sons and to all the sons of Israel, and say to them, This is what the Lord has commanded, saying, Any man from the house of Israel who slaughters an ox or a lamb or a goat in the camp or who slaughters it outside the camp and has not brought it to the doorway of the tent of meeting to present it as an offering to the Lord before the tabernacle of the Lord, blood guiltness is to be reckoned to that man. He has shed blood and that man shall be cut off from among the people. The reason is so that the sons of Israel may bring their sacrifices, which they are sacrificing in the open field, that they may bring them into the Lord at the doorway of the tent of meeting to the priest and sacrifice them as a sacrifice of peace, a peace offering to the Lord. So there's something about making sacrifices to the Lord that you had to bring those sacrifices to a central location. That's right. And you say, well, come on, you're sacrificing to the Lord. Can't you just do it here and be, and be left alone? <laughs> and, and I think that, that you have to understand the, the bigger picture. So first of all, just three quick observations here. Well, God was clearly setting his people apart from all others as a nation. Right. And one of the the, the key things we need to realize is in those days, there were many people who would sacrifice to many gods. Oh, that's a good point. And those sacrifices would be done in various places. Okay. And individually? Exactly. Okay. Okay. So God is saying, you're not going to be doing your sacrificing that way. You're going to be doing it differently. It's basically, it's all got to be reported in. Okay. 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 So, and that that brings us to the to, to the second observation. The sacrifices to God were to be brought only to the tabernacle and only through the priesthood. So the priesthood had to essentially bless those sacrifices made to God, which is very different than any of the nations that would have been around them. And what's the third point? It was a contrast to the pagan 
worship rituals of individual sacrifices to gods made anywhere. So we have to understand how important it was that Israel was being set apart. Now, sacrificing, the, the, the idea of sacrifices were not being uh, taken away or it was not something new. Mm-hmm. You no, know, you're right, you're right. But it was being handled differently. And there was harsh judgment if you don't follow Very the statutes. Very harsh judgment. You shall be cut off from among your people. That's, that's, that's harsh, harsh judgment. Folks, again, we're talking about the sacrifice of Jesus and who, who it's applied to. We're starting in the Old Testament and defining God's relationship with blood. And I think if we do that first, and it's going to take a little bit of time, but if we do that first, the sacrifice of Jesus becomes even more important. Uh, so if you have a thought, we'd love to hear from you at 866-985-4255, toll free, 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9, and that means we're on right now. And we want to hear what you have to say about today's topic. Post your comments on our Facebook page and our blog. Go to ChristianQuestions.com. And I'm sure there will be a lot of comments on today's subject and our take on today's subject. Uh, let's continue now, Jonathan, in Leviticus. Uh, we started with Leviticus 17, 1-5. Let's go jump down to Levit- Leviticus 10, uh, 17, 10-13. And this embodies our theme scripture. And any man from the house of Israel... Or from the aliens who sojourn among them, who eats any blood, I will set my face against that person who eats blood and will cut him off from among his people. So again, God is very, very specific about the treatment of blood. He says you can't eat blood. Now we're going to get into what that means in a moment, but what's next? For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood by reason of that life that makes atonement. And that is the, the theme scripture for the program uh, <clears throat> this morning. And we're going to actually gonna come back to that in just a minute. Because that, Jonathan, that scripture really holds some very profound truths about God's um, f- focusing on blood. And God does focus on blood very clearly and very specifically. Now, is it a sick fascination? No. It is a focus for a very, very important reason. So let's finish the scripture, then we'll get to that reason. Therefore I said to the sons of Israel, No person among you may eat blood, nor may any alien who sojourns among you eat blood. So when any man from the sons of Israel or from the aliens who sojourn among them in hunting catches a beast or a bird which may be eaten, he shall pour out its blood and cover it with earth. So, why did God have such a focus on blood? Three points here. It carries life, and therefore death was not to be arbitrary. Okay, so, and that that is such an important point, that blood carries life. It carries life. That's what the scripture says. Life is in, the life of the flesh is in the blood. There's value. There's the value. And... That was not understood by humanity for thousands of years after this. Absolutely. Because what would happen when people would be would be sick of wounds and so forth? They would bleed them. Hoping to save them. Right, because they were trying to drain out... <laughs> Whatever the bad was. Right, and when what they were really doing was draining out their life, and that's what this scripture is actually telling you. So for people to say that, you know, the Bible, and I just have to throw this point in. Okay. That people to say that the Bible is this big mythological book, uh, you know, it has one of the most basic medical truths in it from the very, very, very early stages. Before humankind had any clue. Right. We, we, they, they just didn't know. So, so the first point is God has a focus on blood because the blood 
carries life. Next point. Life is what brought atonement, the reason for sacrifice. Now, when you say, what, what is atonement? You know, it's, it's, a, it's a word that we talk about, but what does it mean? Well, I like to break down at one with God, becoming in harmony with him. So it was through the act of sacrifice that the nation could be brought back in harmony with God. Yes. That's what atonement is. And so that, and you had to have life involved in that to, 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 to bring us back to God. And the third point. Any other use of blood would take away from its meaning, you know, which is the blood equals life. So the... And when it says you're not to eat blood, it doesn't mean that, you know, you don't take a cup of blood and drink it. And that's kind of gross. Uh, yeah, that's, yeah. What it's talking about is uh, when you kill an animal. And, and you know, this, this sounds gross to us. You, you know, what are you talking about slaughtering and killing animals? Before? You know, look, have, have you ever eaten a chicken sandwich? Well, somebody killed a chicken, okay? Let's understand. <laughs> Did you eat a hamburger? Guess where it came from. Let's, let's, not, let's, not, let's not forget that there, there is slaughter of animals involved in our everyday lives. We just don't see it. You're Right, right. And just because we don't see it doesn't mean it's not there. Correct. All right. So they saw it because there was no there's no slaughterhouses, you know, far away from everything else. So the idea is that the the sacrifice was the the sacrifice of that which of some something alive of value. Right. And it was it was expressed in the blood. Now, in in the eclectic notes of the of the Old Testament, uh, it says the lessons of blood were so distinctive and so vital to all their relations with God that he would not allow any use of blood which might enfeeble them. Blood was always to be connected in their thoughts with atonement. That's important. And so God used blood as the picture, as the, as the actual physical proof of atonement because life needed to be sacrificed. One last scripture before we close this segment. Hebrews 10.4 For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. And yet the blood of bulls and goats were used for atonement. So you got to wonder how does that all fit together. It's an important subject. God uh, saw blood as absolutely sacred. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning Jesus died, so who benefits? Coming up, what about Adam and Eve's nakedness and Noah's flood? What do they have in common? A hint. What was the first thing Noah did when he got off the ark? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. Welcome back. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, Jesus died, so who benefits? To be a part of our program, call toll-free 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. That means we're on right now and our website, ChristianQuestions.com. And Jonathan, we are beginning this conversation about the sacrifice of Jesus by looking at sacrifices in the Old Testament because the sacrifice of Jesus is built upon those sacrifices in the Old Testament. That's right, a picture. Right, and the last scripture we quoted at the end of the first segment, uh, it's not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins from the book of Hebrews, really links the two. It does. Because what, he, what, what the apostle goes on to say in Hebrews is the blood of bulls and goats can't take away sins, and that's why they were sacrificed over and over and over, but then here you have the sacrifice of Jesus once for all but it's the same thing it's the giving up of life and it's the shedding of blood why blood 
because it was the carrier of life. That's what it not was. It is the carrier of life. It is sacred. And that's why it's important in the system in which God set up to draw men to himself. It required something solemn and sacred, and that is the shedding of blood. So, with that in mind, you know, we're talking about how sacred it is. Let's go back to the atheist experience, oh, shall we? fun. <laughs> and again, the, their last soundbite we uh, heard from them, they were saying, you know, God has this sick fascination with the smell of blood. There could have been a much better system than this. Put them in a timeout if they're bad. <laughs> right, right. That's, that's really what they said, you know. If he made the rules, he could make, have made it so. Well, let's just listen to a little bit more, and then we can comment. Um. But this God specifically chose to say, if you violate these things, what I want you to do is go take another one of my creations, place it on an altar, slice it open, gut it, and burn it so that I can smell it, and this will alleviate your sin. Now, why, what, what, why does that system make sense and a more reasonable system, at least to me, uh, is not used? So he's saying, you know, okay, so you, you, you've done bad, and, and God is saying, well, so just kill something else, you know. And, and you can see where somebody from the outside looking in could get that perspective. Okay. So I'm not, not that I'm defending the reasoning, no, but no. I'm defending the lack of understanding to get to the reasoning. How's that? <laughs> All right, that's better. <laughs> All right. Uh, so as we go through this whole, this whole uh, situation here, uh, let's... Um, let's back up for a moment. And let's, we understand that blood is an, an important symbol of life. So now let's apply that importance to the key events of human destiny. Um, and let's go back to the very beginning. In, again, blood is sacred. Life is sacred. Yes. All right. Genesis 3.15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. So you have this is the, a portion of the curse on Satan. Yes, it is. And what's what's being said here? It's like Rick. It's a battle to the death. Yes. And it, but it's a veiled promise, right? Because it's talking about victory of godliness. Right. That's what it's talking about. But it is a battle to the death, death because life is sacred, and life. And here's what, what the bottom line, Jonathan: life out of harmony with God will not exist eternally. Good point. There has to be death for any life that is 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 uh, over that long period of time out of harmony uh, with God. So you've got a, a battle to the death uh, and a veiled promise. Life is on the line. One, one more, and then we'll go to the phones. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. All right, so this was a portion of the curse on Adam. And he says, by the sweat of your face, you're going to eat, eat your bread. You came from the ground. You're going to go back to it. And what was the certain penalty for Adam here? Rick, it's death. So, the certain penalty for sin. That was it. So you have life or the absence of life yeah. before God. And God's creation is going to work in harmony with God's will. Uh, so you've got life and death in, in these two curses uh, just coming out very, very plainly and very, very clearly uh, in terms of, of God's position and why it's important to have life and death as the objects of teaching. See, it's not just a matter of putting Adam and Eve in a timeout. <laughs> Right. That would not have done anything. The consequences to, to be able to live in accordance with God in God's garden. In, and in as you said, for eternity, Rick, right. we're talking 
everlasting life. You need to make sure that things are exactly the way they need to be and obedience is in place. And the, the consequence, I mean, you're, you're, you're saying that, well, their sin couldn't have been that bad. And, and you know, you give them a slap on the hand and say, just don't do that again. You're talking something much bigger. You're talking about a change of allegiance from, from that Adam and Eve took by following the, 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 the guidance and, and the ideas of Satan. Rick, let's go to the phones. We have Leanne from Indiana. Good morning, Leanne, and welcome to Christian Questions. Good morning. Hey, good um, to hear from you. Well, I have, um, I was, I've been debating this to myself, as struggling with this, actually, in regards to animals, mm-hmm. as far as um, how we take their life for our food. But, um, you know, I, I've been looking into veganism as far as, you know, plants, consuming plants for a total diet, and thinking this is the way to go. It seems like um, it's a lot more healthier. And then on the other hand, I'm thinking of animals um, for their feelings as, you know, if we own, we have six pets and, you know, we connect with them. Um, our, their feelings are basically the same as ours as far as, you know, they feel the fear, you know, pain and, and all this. And I just can of imagine killing them for food and in which other countries do, you know, and then... Uh, um, we kill cows, though, and I feel the same way towards even these type of animals. And I just wonder if there's anything backing it up, and whether it's in the, um, well in the Newer Testament or anything to back up that we should not be eating animals. All right, you know, Leanne, that's actually a very important question because uh, in in Genesis, you know, at the very very beginning, there was it wasn't about eating animals at all. You're right. So, as a matter of fact, um, the and the answer is the, there is actually a command from God that animals are available to be eaten, and we're actually coming up to that very, very shortly in the next couple of minutes in our in our discussion here. But uh, so you can certainly listen in. We'll get there in about five minutes. But just just in response to your point, you know, if you've got that sense personally that to you it seems to be a, a more healthy way to eat and you want to respect the you know how you how you view animals then by all means follow your conscience yes there's nothing in the scripture that says you have to do it one way or another but the scriptures do tell us what's available for humankind so Leanne thanks so much for your call we truly appreciate your listening and calling in thank you so much okay take care right, bye bye Bye-bye. And, and Jonathan, it really is an important point. It, it really is. is. So I'm glad she brought it up. And like I said, we've got an, just another couple of things here, and we're going to get exactly to answering her questions. So Leanne, stay with us for that. So Jonathan, let's continue in Genesis 3. Uh, folks, again, our, our, our number is 866-985-4255, toll-free, 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9, and that means we're on right now. And stay connected to Rick and I at ChristianQuestions.com, no matter the day or time. So, back to the Genesis 3 area, we're looking at the concept of blood and the sacredness of blood attached to the most important times, beginnings, if you will, in life. Now, the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. So... Here's the thing. This is important. There had never been an animal sacrifice. Their animals were living, you know, alongside of Adam and Eve in the garden. Right. And everything was going well. And they were caring for them and loving them. And But once they stepped out of harmony with God, then it says God made garments of them, for them of skin. Well, that, that means it came from an animal. So God made a sacrifice 
for the uh, um, for, for for the sinful couple, blood was shed, perhaps as a symbol to show that sin brings shame, which leads to death. All need covering with a sacrificed life. Uh, so that's the important thing. Every God was saying, blood must be shed when you are out of harmony with me to cover sinfulness. That's what he did. He, could he have created some other kind of covering for them? Of course he could have. But he chose to do it this way. And it was, a, it was for a reason. Right. It was important. Right. So we have to make sure that we understand the, the depth of the importance here. And so then let, let's continue this Genesis thing and then we get to Leanne's question. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And now he might stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So here we have the, the idea that God is saying things, some things have to be changed, some things have to be different, some things have to, to look different, and a final banishing from eternal life. They had to be taken out of the garden. This is a major part of what was lost. Now remember, what was lost was earthly paradise. They were taken out of context, weren't they, Ray? Right, right. They were taken out of the context of loving and living under the rules of God. In and, harmony with God. And put into a context of living under the guidance of Satan. Not a good choice. No. But then all of us are born in that, and that's where the sacrifice of Jesus comes in. So now, Jonathan, just... So you've got the very beginning. The beginning, Adam and Eve and sin, and what happens? There's a sacrifice. Yes. There is a sacrifice to cover their nakedness, to cover the shame that came upon them. Look, they were naked to begin with, so there was no shame in that. No, there wasn't. But the shame came after the allegiance changed. And that's where sacrifice was required in the eyes of God. So, folks, if you have a thought, it's 866-985-4255. Toll free, 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9, and that means we're on right now. And go to our website, ChristianQuestions.com, and check out CQ Rewind, the full edition. And we're getting to the sacrifice of Jesus. We really are. But this is important, because now let's go to the next beginning of life. You have Adam and Eve, and then all of their children, and then you remember the Nephilim, and, and the world was destroyed by flood. That's right. So what happens? The first thing Noah does after the flood, and he comes out of the ark, Genesis chapter 9. Now, this is 1,800 years later. This is like starting the world over. Okay, 1,800 years later, Genesis 9, 3 to 7. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And just as I have given you green plants, I give you everything. So there's a change. God is saying, I'm giving you the, the, the animals of the earth as food. Only you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. For your own life blood, I will surely require a reckoning. For every animal, I will, will require it. And from human beings, each one from the blood of another. I will require a reckoning for human life. Whoever sheds the blood of a human, by a human shall that person's blood be shed. For it is his own image God made humankind. And you, be fruitful and multiply, abound on the earth and multiply in it. So blood is again singled out as a sacred part of all life. And so you have this recurring theme, Jonathan, and that's why the sacrifice of Jesus had to be a blood sacrifice. Because it fits into the context of the importance of the sacredness of life. And when, when, 
when when bringing us back to God is 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 required, you have to do it through some very deep and significant offering. That's right. Can't be a slap on the hand. No. It's got to be much much the value is the highest it could be. So the sacrifices of animals were to represent the sacrifice of Jesus because it was sacred life. Revelation 13.8 And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Again, slain from the foundation of the world. Slain from the very beginning. Blood is shed for atonement. The act of bringing humanity back in harmony. At one minute with God. And in Revelation, it's saying that the Lamb, Jesus, was slain long before. In other words, in, in the... concept. Right. In idea. The, in the mind of God, it was all put in order how it was going to be brought back. And that's where this ransom price of Jesus comes in, which we're going to be getting into in great depth uh, very, very soon. So at the very... At every beginning... There's a sacrifice of blood. For at each beginning, there are life and death choices to be made. Remember, with, with Adam and Eve, there were life and death choices. They made a wrong choice. Right. Blood sacrifice. Noah makes a choice to, to live, be righteous with God, and when finally the world is, be, is restarting, there's a blood sacrifice. Jesus is going to come, and there will be a blood sacrifice. So... Relating to Jesus, who does that question of life and death and the answer uh, of the shed blood of atonement apply to? Does it apply to some? Because some scriptures say so. Let's look at Luke one sixty eight. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people. Redemption for who? His people. Okay, so th- yeah. there is a very specific, there is somewhat narrow focus. Right, you have to be a part of Israel. Israel, That's Lord right. God of Israel. His people, Israel. So in that scripture, you can be very specific and say, yes, so you see the sand, this ransom thing is for Israel. Or could it be for all? 2 Corinthians 5.19. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So there it says God in Christ is reconciling the world to himself. And that sounds like all. And that's a whole lot more than his people Israel. So you've got these questions, which is it? Is it God sending Jesus to ransom Israel, his people, and therefore his followers? Or is it for all, meaning everybody in the world? This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, Jesus died, so who benefits? If Christ did die for all, how can we harmonize the scriptures that say only by the name of Jesus can we be saved? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. Welcome back. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, Jesus died, so who benefits? To be a part of our program, call toll-free 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. That means we're on right now. And our website, ChristianQuestions.com. And Jonathan, now as we get into the sacrifice of Jesus, it's important for us to, to, to see it. Try to see it as scripturally as we can and try to take away all of the external opinions and thoughts. Because there's a million ways that people look at this. You're right. And just as an example, this is from Robin Collins' Understanding Atonement, A New and Orthodox Theory. This is Robin Collins' 
a sort of definition of the view of view of the ransom that I find very confusing. Essentially, this theory claimed that Adam and Eve sold humanity over to the devil at the time of the fall. Hence, justice required that God pay the devil a ransom to free us from the devil's clutches. God, however, tricked the devil in accepting Jesus' death as a ransom, for the devil did not realize that Christ could not be held in the bonds of death. Once the devil accepted Christ's death as a ransom, this theory concluded, Justice was satisfied, and God was able to free us from Satan's grip. So this idea that God tricked Satan into uh, uh, into uh, accepting something, it, <coughs> to me, is ridiculous. It is. It's not the way God operates. But we read that to illustrate that there are so many ways of looking at the sacrifice of Jesus. What we want to do is look at it the way the Scriptures meant us to look at it. Well, how is that, you ask? Well, here's the answer. <laughs> We're going to try and find it. How? By looking at the scriptures. Now we've established the sacredness of life as represented in blood. Yes. We've established that God in creating the world made everything originally in a way where no, you know, you weren't supposed to be killing animals. Correct. Originally in perfection. Right, but in imperfection God said it's okay. That's what God said. So we you know, we go by that commandment. So, but we still have the sacredness of 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 uh dealing with all life. So Let's go now to Romans chapter 5. And folks, we're going to spend some time here. Uh, the following scripture in Romans 5 is going to serve as a basis for proof that we believe. Here, here's, here's where Jonathan and I sit on this. We believe that the ransom of Jesus was given for all mankind. Yes. Meaning that it was to be applied to each life, each human life ever lived. Correct. No matter what their belief system was, they will have a benefit from that ransom. Not a curse, but a benefit from that ransom. Now, why would we say that when you just said in, 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 in the outro at the end of the last segment that, you know, so many scriptures that seem to say, you know, you believe in the Lord Jesus and you shall be saved. Correct. I agree. And we'll get to that. <laughs> all right. R- Romans five twelve to 14. Let's just uh, those couple of verses. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. For until the law sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. So bottom line, what those few verses are saying is Adam was entirely responsible for inherited human sin. That's right. Death reigned even before the law, the Ten Commandments and so forth, was given. Therefore, the death penalty was clearly upon all of humanity. Correct. And I think everybody agrees with that. The death penalty belongs to each of us. It was. And the law identified what right. sin was. Right. It was a tutor for us. Exactly. So the law focused us on what sin is. Now, that being said, what do you do with that? Well, what we're going to do is we're going to take a, a slight detour, and we're going to go to another another soundbite. This is from uh, a, a website or a YouTube uh, uh, program called uh, Critical Thinking and the Bible. Now, this is somebody who does not believe in the Bible, and he's going to create a story that we're going to follow in this hour and the next hour as his explanation of, look, think critically about the Bible and you're going to find that God is that, that 
that that heretical heretical uh, individual that the other guy was trying to say. Right. And why do we do this? Because it's important to hear other points of view. So the this is on the ransom from critical thinking in the Bible. I want to again ask you to imagine yourself in a hypothetical situation. You live in a town in which the law is controlled by Sheriff Joe Blow. He not only enforces the law, as you would expect from a sheriff, he also makes it. He's decreed that anyone committing an act of horse thievery in his town will be executed at the next available opportunity. Surprisingly, though, one day Sheriff Blow's own horse is stolen from before his eyes. A man runs out of the local saloon drunk, jumps on his horse, and tries to ride away. However, he's so drunk he falls from the saddle, lands on his head, and dies. Yet, Sheriff Blow says that the man's death wasn't justice because he wasn't executed for his crime. He died of an accident because he tried to ride a horse while drunk. So he says someone has to die for the man's crime of horse thievery. Okay, and he, he's going to great lengths to create a story to illustrate the foolishness of the Bible and of God. Mm-hmm. And the problem is, <laughs> folks, I, you know what? We should have a webcam so people could see Jonathan's uh. face when he listens to things like this. It really is quite amusing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so he's creating this story, but it has nothing to do with the concept of justice and the sacredness of life. No, it doesn't. But, again, we're going to use it as a sort of a backdrop as we illustrate God's view of the sacredness of life. Now, we just... Uh, so he's, he's, he's saying God is this Sheriff Joe guy mm-hmm. who, who uh, just is arbitrarily saying somebody has to suffer and die for that even though the person died anyway. And his point is, look, Adam died, so wh- why do you have to have more of a penalty? That's what he's saying. Right. All right? That point needs to be addressed, and we will go through that as the program goes on. A New Testament view helps us see the process that God's plan of salvation had in place. God did have a plan and a process which was just and wise, but most of us don't take the time to look for it. Galatians three nineteen to 22. Why the law then? It was added because of transgressions, having been ordained through angels by the agency of a mediator, until the seed would come to whom the promise had been made. Okay, so like you said, the law was there to uh, uh, label what sin is, label how far away man had gone from God. That's right. And now a mediator is not for one party only, whereas God is only one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? May it never be. For if a law had been given which was able to impart life, then righteousness would have indeed have been based on the law. But the scriptures has shut up every one under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Aha! Given to those who believe. You see, again, you have a, a an exclusiveness shown in scripture which contradicts what we just said earlier. That's right. All right, and, and we'll get to that. But here's the point, Jonathan. What does a mediator do? It mediates between two parties. It's a middleman. That are at odds. That's right. Okay? So it's talking about the law was given through the agency of a mediator, Moses. And now Jesus, uh, well, let's look at First Timothy 2, 5 and 6, because Jesus becomes the mediator as well. For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony given at the proper time. So now 
it just said the promise by faith in Jesus Christ in the previous scripture might be given to those who believe. Right. And you say, okay, exclusiveness. Uh, yeah, try that again. Right? <laughs> Exclusiveness right there. Mm-hmm. But here it says, one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for... All. So you have one scripture that says it's exclusive, and the other scripture that says, no, it's not. Well, how do you... Make those two work together. The answer is they do. But we have to see them in the light that they're being meant to be understood and seen. So the point here is that Jesus is acting as a mediator between two parties that are at odds. Yes. And in the Timothy scripture, you have the mediator between God and all of humankind. Because humankind is at odds with God. They are. Because they are under the jurisdiction of Satan because of the choices that Adam and Eve made and that we are born into. So humankind is at odds and needs to be mediated. Now, the mediator of the law for Israel was Moses. That's right. All right. The mediator of grace for the world is Jesus. So you have Jesus being pictured in Moses. Okay, I think that that's an important part of this whole thing. Let's go to Romans 3, uh, 19 to 21. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. Okay, now you have another scripture that gives you the all the world idea. Mm-hmm. Okay, and, and what happens to all the world in this scripture? They need to be accountable to God. All right, so not just a few, but everybody. And, and I think most Christians will, are going to buy that, that there's some kind of accountability. Uh, but let, let's continue with the verse. Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. But not apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. So again, as you mentioned before, because the law existed, we understand what sin is and how it works. So let, let's go back. Remember in the, in the Galatian scripture, it said the promise by faith in Jesus might be given to those who believe? Yes. Well, what is the promise that was being referred to there? The it, promise to Abraham, right? Exactly. And we know, well, let's go back to the promise to Abraham first. Genesis twenty two seventeen to 18. That in blessing, I will bless thee. And in multiplying, I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is upon the seashore. And thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. So the promise is to be blessed and to bless. Right? Two parts. Right. And who is Abraham being given the promise that he will be able to bless? All the nations. All the world. See, all the nations of the earth are, that's the promise. Well, what does that mean in relation to to us in the New Testament? Well, in Galatians 3.29, there is an unmistakable link between that promise and what this scripture said in in Galatians 3, uh, what was the verse? 23, Mm -hmm. says the promise by faith. Again, I'm reading it again. Jesus might be given to those who believe. And you say, well, it's the promise. Well, what is the promise? Well, go down to verse 29, Galatians 3.29. What does it say? And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants and heirs according to the promise. So if you're inheriting the promise because you belong to Christ, the promise is to be able to do what? Bless all the families of the earth. So if you're blessing all the families of the earth and it comes through, and if you go back a verse in in Galatians, it talks about Jesus is the seed of Abraham. Yes. So it is through Jesus that we as followers of Christ inherit the ability to bless all 
all the families of the earth. So there seems to be, to me it's more than it seems to be, and in the second hour, folks, we're really going to get into this. There seems to be a very clear-cut focus on looking at salvation through Jesus through two sets of eyes. Yes. The first set of eyes is those who follow after Christ. But the second set of eyes is through those who follow after Christ, given to the rest of the world. How can that be? Well, folks, in the second hour, we're going to get into that. If we're not on in your area in the second hour, go to ChristianQuestions.com. Click Listen Live and stay with us. This is an important conversation. We want to do this as clearly as possible. We want to be as scriptural as possible. And we certainly love to hear your thoughts on, on your, your take on this. Because I know that our, our perspective is not necessarily a, a widespread one. Right. But... So be it. <laughs> We're just trying to see what the scriptures say. Exactly. And that's really what this is about. So at this point, Jonathan, what we have established is we've established the sacredness of blood and of life and how God used sacrifices to illustrate how important it was to, by justice, bring mankind back to God. And we see that sacrifice fulfilled in Jesus. Now, with that sacrifice fulfilled in Jesus, we would expect that there would be a, 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 um, a reward, if you will, as a result of the sacrifice. Well, who gets that reward and how does it get applied? All of that is coming up in the second hour, so please stay with us. For Jonathan and Rick, it's Christian Questions. Very important question this morning. Jesus died, so who benefits? Lots more to come, lots more in terms of scriptures and so forth. Jonathan and Rick and Christian Questions, we'll be back after the news and all that. But till then, Jesus' sacrifice, does it mean to everybody? We'll be back soon. Think about it. is Christian Questions. The Dalai Lama once said, It is under the greatest adversity that there exists the greatest potential for doing good, both for oneself and others. Good morning, everyone, and welcome back to Christian Questions Talk Radio with your breakfast with Jonathan and Rick. This isn't your typical Christian commentary. We love talking with our audience, and we promise to never talk at you like so many talk shows do today. This is a conversation about biblical topics as we look at them from a different perspective. And Jonathan, we have a very important and difficult subject this morning. We do, Rick. And our question this morning is, Jesus died, so who benefits? And our theme text is found in Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood by reason of the life that makes atonement. So we're talking about the sacrifice of Jesus. In the first hour, we spent a lot of time looking at the Old Testament and the, and the value of blood. Because God is accused as being some bloodthirsty creature that uh, that has it all backwards and he's just a sort of this heinous heinous being that just likes death and blood and the smell of blood and all of that. And the important thing that came out in the first hour was how quickly blood was used right after the sin with Adam and Eve to clothe them with skins. And and why why was it the shedding of blood? Because blood carries life. Blood is sacred to God. And their penalty was death. Right. And then Noah in the ark, when he got off the ark, he offered s- sacrifices to God for, for saving them. 
So we had the beginning of the creation of mankind where a blood sacrifice was required to clothe them in the, the shame of their sin. Mm-hmm. We had Noah wanting to be in accordance with God offering a sacrifice. Another new beginning. And then we have the sacrifice of Jesus, which is the ultimate new beginning. So That's there's right. these three beginnings all have blood sacrifice involved in them. So folks, we're talking about the sacrifice of Jesus. Who benefits from it? Our take is that... It's all, Rick. It's everybody. Every man, woman, and child who ever lived benefits in a positive sense from the sacrifice of Jesus in that they will all have a resurrection and an opportunity, not a guarantee, an opportunity for life. Now, we know that that's not a normal perspective that a lot of people have, so we'd love to hear your thoughts at 866-985-4255, toll free, 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. And that means we're on right now. And check out our website, ChristianQuestions.com. Check out CQ Rewind, the full edition. And uh, instead of just listening to the program, you can follow along and read all the scriptures, see graphics, illustrations, bonus material. It's a great, great Bible study in your hands. It's all free. It's all available only at ChristianQuestions.com. CQ Rewind, the full edition. Sign up today. You'll love it. So, Jonathan, we keep saying, yes, it's everyone, it's everyone, it's everyone. And yet... There are scriptures in that that use the the, the world uh, and all, but they don't really mean the entire world. All right, and they don't mean all. So you know, let's th- check it out. And that that's sort of undermining what we just said. But look, what we're trying to do is look at the Bible in its entirety. Genesis forty one fifty seven. The people of all the earth came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe in all the earth. See, now, the famine wasn't over the entire globe. No, it was only in a certain section. Right, but it's using all the earth to illustrate that everybody in that area was was affected. Right. But all the earth didn't mean all the earth. You're right, Rick. Okay, John 15, 18. If the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. Jesus, those are Jesus' own words. They are. And he's saying if the world hates you. He doesn't mean the entire globe. No, he doesn't. He means the people that are that are around you. Mm-hmm. So he's saying, but anybody, and, he, and he's meaning like you know, this is a general thought pattern. But he's not saying every human being in the world hates you. He's not using the world to mean the globe. That's correct. Luke, Luke two one. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. So was that taxing every nation no, of the world? No, just those in that area. Right, those of the Roman nation yes. were being taxed. So so we just diffused our own thinking. <laughs> Thanks, Rick. <laughs> but you know, it's part of the honesty and integrity of looking at Scripture. So the question is, how do you tell if all really means all, uh, and, and if... if if we're really, really barking up the right tree by saying, yes, every man, woman, and child uh, benefits from the, from the sacrifice. Well, Rick, your favorite word, context. Yes. We really need to know what the context of scriptures are. Right. Quick phrase here, and then we'll go to the phones. Quick, quick phrase. Uh, when, when you look at somebody and you say, oh, you know what? You look blue. <laughs> I mean, be, be, you can say that, right? Sure, you can and, say that. And we know what that means. And then you can look and say, oh, look at the blue sky. Am I saying if I tell you tell you that you look blue that your face looks the same color as the sky? No. But we understand what we mean. Language. Right. Context. And that's how we determine if all really means all or if it just means a a a a, a few or all within a context but not everybody. Okay? So, that's what we're going to get to next. Well, Rick, let's go to the phones. We have Julius from Connecticut. Good morning, Julius, and welcome to Christian Questions. Gentlemen, good morning. Good morning. Uh, tough topic. 
Yeah, it's fun. You know, uh, your friend Larry, I, I haven't heard him lately on the radio, uh, but he, when he used to call, he used to say, I want to put my two cents worth. Yes. Remember? And I, I would say, uh, with inflation, I'll, I'll put my three cents worth. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, on this subject, uh, very simply, from my perspective, God sets the rules. Creator and created, the creature has little to say except to endeavor to learn what God has to say. The life giver and sustainer of life sets the rules. It's, it's that simple. Uh, his word is there. Uh, incidentally, uh, my wife's diabetic. She has uh, wounds, uh, you know, to deal with in her feet. And uh, this is uh, an analogy that I make. Blood, oxygen will heal the wound, whether a person is diabetic or not. Ointments, you know, all kinds of ointments. They have expensive ointments uh, that you apply to the wound. They can only be supplemental until, unless the blood gets there. The metaphor, only through the blood of Jesus can there be healing and life. Finally, Psalms 139, 14 the psalmist inspired psalmist says, "We are I'm fearfully and wonderfully made." Praise God! Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate your call, Julius. Okay, bye bye. So, uh, in, in in looking at uh, Julius's comments, we we can see that uh, you know the, he brought out again the, the sacredness of of blood and putting things in in perspective. And this is a this is a tough a tough subject, Julius. Thanks so much for the. Um, for the call, and God does set the rules. Yes, he does. But he makes them understandable for us, and that's the mercy of God, is he makes them understandable. I'm going to go to that soundbite from uh, Critical Thinking. Remember with Joe, Sheriff Joe, and yeah. the horse thief and mm-hmm. executing it? I know you don't yeah. like it, but again, it's giving you a very alternative perspective looking into Christianity and saying, oh, you fools, essentially is what it's saying, by trying to draw this, what I think is a very silly analogy. So he arrests the horse thief's son and sentences him to death. Well, over the course of the son's stay in jail, the sheriff gets to know him, and he's not such a bad guy. He doesn't approve of his father's actions and would have stopped him if he could have. So Sheriff Blow decides he does not want to execute the horse thief's son. But he doesn't feel he can just allow him to go and not execute anyone for the crime of horse thieving. So he comes up with a solution. He takes all of the clothing from the horse thief's son and dresses up his very own son in them, after which he sends his son to the gallows and has him executed. Then he declares that justice has been served because someone was executed for the crime of the horse thief. He then sends, his, he then sends the horse thief's son to the gallows and has him executed too. So, so this is making God out to be, oh, I just, I'll kill everybody, my son included, because somebody must be executed for the crime. I mean, that, and, and it's such a foolish perspective it is. Of, of the way God actually works. Let's look at Romans chapter 5, verses 15 to 17, because this, in my mind, folks, and this is definitely a Rick opinion here, but this is the most clear explanation of who is... Uh, subject to the uh, or subject of the sacrifice of Jesus and then we're going to br- take this in two pieces Romans five fifteen to 17 but the free gift is not like the transgression 
For if by the transgression of the one, the many die. Okay, stop right there. By the transgression of the one. Who's the one? Adam. The many. Who's the many? Everybody, Rick. See, it has to mean all of humanity according to the previous context that we read in the last hour. That's right. It's talking about... Now, this is talking about the whole world. The many died. And we have proof that Adam's sin causes everybody to die. The Bible is clear on that. So this is giving us the idea, the clear idea that the many here means all. Now, let's continue. Much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. Okay, abound to the who? All. To the many. The same many. It doesn't change meaning in one sentence. It's one uh, set of logical thoughts. So you, if, you, if you say the many in the previous sentence means... It's all humanity. Then here it says the gift uh, of Christ abounds to... All humanity. The all, many. All humanity. So it's, the many is being used to describe all humanity. Because there are many... Yes. Okay, let's continue. The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned, for on the one hand, the judgment arose from one transgression resulting in condemnation, but on the other hand, the free gift arose from from many transgressions resulting in justification, for if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through that one. Okay, again, death reigned, and who does death reign over? Everyone, every man, woman, and child. So he's still focusing on the many, meaning every man, woman, and child to ever be born. Right. Much more, those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Aha. Now it says much more, those who receive the abundance of grace. So now that's not talking about everybody, is it? No, it's not. It's now being selective. There is a qualifier here applying to the called out ones. Well, what does that mean? It shows a reign for them. It says they're going to reign over somebody or something, some kind of authority. Well, what does that mean? Well, let's try to determine what that means. Let's go to 1 Timothy 4.10. For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach. Because we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. Okay, the Savior of who? All men. And if you say all men here, and we go back to the many, that fits. But it says, especially of those that believe. So it's saying... There's something better. Right. Everybody's included, but but some are more included. Yes. (laughs) All right. Some are more important, maybe? Well, and and let's see. Because it's, it's like it's dividing humanity into two very distinct classes. And you say, okay, well, that's one scripture. Do you have, are, are there others that give us the same sense? Yes, there are. First John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So, my little children, who is John writing to? Followers of Jesus. Exactly. Is he writing to the world? No. And he's saying, so, if you sin, then we... Followers of Jesus have an advocate with the Father. Right, so you you only open the mail if it's for you. Right. <laughs> so he's saying th- this applies to you. And now let's 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 finish that verse because this is important. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. So now there's this advocate 
relationship with Jesus that's represented here. That's different than the mediator, Rick. In the first hour, we talked about the mediator between two part two parties that are at odds, mm-hmm. God and the world of mankind being at odds. Jesus sits in between. The advocate is one who pleads your case with you and for you. They stand for you. Right. An advocate stands on your behalf. So for the followers of Jesus, Jesus is an advocate. For the rest of the world of mankind, Jesus is a mediator. There's a difference. There is a difference. There is, are two different ways that Jesus' life, death, and, and resurrection applies. One, as an advocate to followers, but then he is a mediator as well because these verses keep telling us that A, the ransom price was applied to all. B, there are two different levels of that application. One to followers and one to the everybody else. What does it all mean? This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, Jesus died. So, who benefits? Coming up, if Jesus does save everyone, how fair is that? What about all the sacrifice and time and church services? Was it just a waste? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. Welcome back. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, Jesus died, so who benefits? To be a part of our program, call toll-free 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. That means we're on right now. And our website, ChristianQuestions.com. And Jonathan, as we go through the subject, and our perspective is that the scriptures clearly teach uh, that Jesus died for every human being to ever live. We are basing a, much of that on Romans chapter 5. Mm-hmm. And the fact that it uses the phrase of the many clearly to represent everybody who dies in Adam. Which is everybody. Which is everybody, okay? And that there are two different classes of individuals that are benefited by the ransom of Jesus. One class, especially those that believe. Uh, Have an advocate. Right. And the other class, the everybody else. Has a mediator. And Jesus plays both of those parts because his ransom applies to both of those groups of people. Now, we're not going to read it, but in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 7 through 10, it separates out the, 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 the world of mankind. And it says unbelievers are separated out as disobedient and in a, very, in a prophesied position. They are disobedient. There's no question about that. But yes. the ransom still will apply to them. But then it lists off different descriptions for the followers of Christ. Yes, you're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. So, and the people of God. So you have right. all of these titles. What do they mean? Do they give us a hint to help us understand a relationship between the called out followers of Christ and all of the rest of the world of mankind? And I think the answer is yes. Yes, Yes, they do. There's one more title given to the... Well, there's several, there are others, but one we want to focus on given to the followers of Christ in Hebrews 12:23, To the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect. So the, 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 the followers of Christ are called the church of the firstborn. By, by uh, the Apostle Paul in Hebrews. Mm-hmm. When we think of firstborn, what do we think of? Don't you think, go back to Exodus? Oh, And, and yes. the saving of the firstborn. Exodus, That's right. Exodus 12, 13. The blood shall be a sign for you on the house where you live, 
And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. And who was on trial for life then? Only the firstborn. But who was delivered as a result of the deliverance of the firstborn? The whole nation. Isn't that interesting, that you have the deliverance of the firstborn first, but the whole nation follows through their deliverance? There's a correlation there that shows us that the ransom of Jesus applies first to the firstborn, Mm -hmm. second to everyone else. Folks, if you have a thought, it's 866-985-4255, toll free, 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9, and that means we're on right now. Christian Questions. A weekly habit that's good for you. Thanks for tuning us in every Sunday morning from 7 to 9. Join our conversation any day and time at ChristianQuestions.com. So we're making this analogy to the firstborn in, in Egypt, you know, being, being saved from Egypt through the blood of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And you say, well, okay, do you have a right to make that analogy? Well, yeah, the scriptures tell us we do. 1 Corinthians 5, 7. Clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump, just as you are in fact unleavened. For Christ, our Passover, also has been sacrificed. So that's a clear illustration saying, go back to the deliverance of the firstborn and look at yourselves in that manner, in that deliverance. Yes, what a great picture. And don't forget, the nation was delivered as well as the firstborn. That's right. So you can't, you can't undermine that. So what do we have? Sacrifice plus blood equals deliverance. Great mathematical equation. <laughs> <laughs> For who? The firstborn first, and then the whole nation. The path is different for the two, okay? But both paths lead to freedom. Now, saying that, it's like, oh, this is exciting. Well, let's go back to uh, this uh, this critical thinking guy and take all the the, the, oh, the, the steam out of your excitement, <laughs> shall we? And again, he's telling the story of the of the sheriff God who um, has a penalty uh, for horse thievery and ends up sacrificing his own son and and so forth and i have a lot of problems with it but the the, the reason we're, we're letting you hear it is because we want you to hear that there are so many different perspectives looking into the scriptures and looking into the will and plan of god that just d- end up distorting what it really truly means so let's let's finish this little analogy up what do you think of sheriff blow if someone told you that he was a wise leader of his community Would you believe them? Well, what about if someone told you that a wise and loving God would behave in a way similar to Sheriff Blow? The Bible says that God decreed if Adam ate the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he would die and all of his offspring would die also. But then God decided he didn't want all of Adam's offspring to die because of Adam's sin. So he sent his own son to die in the place of Adam's offspring. He tries to oversimplify it to a point where it just makes no sense. Mm -hmm. Because here's the fact of the matter, folks, and here's the fact of life. Uh, We choose, for instance, we choose where we live. Correct. We choose, uh, in in our age anyway, we choose our spouse. Mm -hmm. We choose to have our children. Yes. We choose to teach our children what we choose to teach them. Mm -hmm. And our children grow up, like it or not, in the likeness of us. Yes. All right. So what all God did in the garden was say, your posterity is going to grow up in the likeness of you, and now you are sinful. Therefore, they must be, because that's what you are passing down to them through your, through your genealogy. That's what you're passing down to. That's your genetic makeup 
is flawed. You've chosen that, and as a result, everybody inherits that. But does God want everybody to stay in that position? No. So he provides a way to, 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 to satisfy justice. But he didn't force his son to, to do no, it, did he? No, 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 no. I mean, the scripture in Isaiah, you know, prophetically talking about Jesus, says what? Here am I. Here am I. Send me. Send me. This was voluntary, and it was the satisfaction of justice that made that work. It was life for life, because as we established in the first hour, life is sacred. The shedding of blood is a sacred symbol of the sacredness of life. And also, when Jesus was talking to Pilate, he said, I could call 12,000 legions of angels to stop this, but he chose not to. He chose to go through with it. Now, let's go back to Romans again, folks. If you have a thought, it's 866-985-4255. Back to Romans, Jonathan, Romans five eighteen to 21. So then, as through one transgression, there resulted condemnation to all men, even so through one act of righteousness, there resulted justification of life to all men. Now, again, we had the many earlier in Romans. Mm-hmm. It was clear that he was using the phrase the many to mean everybody. Yes. And here he's changing his, his language a little bit, but now he says all. It makes it easier in this one. It does. But it, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a restatement of what he already said. Mm-hmm. There's no qualifier. All humanity is clearly included and is referred to as all, so it's easy to understand. Let's continue. For as through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one, the many, will be made righteous. So now he's back to the many. Right. And you say, well, make up your mind. No. It still, all mean, it still means all. When you say something a couple of different ways, it, it, it verifies it more clearly. Mm-hmm. And that's what, that's what the apostle is doing here. Again, it's about all of humanity. And they're referred to again as the many. All humankind both ways. It, it, make, it makes the point clear. And this is the concept of the ransom right here. One man's disobedience created a, a, a gene pool that was defective. Mm-hmm. Therefore, God said, one man's obedience can eventually cancel that defective gene pool because everybody inherits the bad therefore it's just that everybody inherits the good i like it that's what god that's what god's plan is about in relation to the ransom of jesus verse 20 the law came in so that the transgression would increase but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So it says well, transgression would increase. So what, that man would become more sinful? No, so that man would understand how sinful he was continuing to become. So sin was being more uh, clearly defined, wasn't yeah, it? exactly. And, and, and that was the point that was made earlier. And the more clearly sin is defined, the more powerfully grace would apply. And see, God works through justice. But his grace is magnificent. And, you know, that story of Joe, the the, the sheriff and all of that, Mm -hmm. it completely takes out the long-range effect and the long-range thinking of God's plan, which is based in justice. And it has, God's plan does have a happily ever after because it has choices that are given to mankind that we don't have now. Humankind, and when I say we, I'm talking about the world of mankind right now, Mm -hmm. has no choice about being born in sin. They're stuck. That's right. There is no way out of that, and there's no way around that. Verse 21 of Romans 5. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. See, grace replaces sin on a wholesale scale. So what happens here, sin reigned in death. So 
Justice says that if you replace the author of the, the, the passing on of sin, Adam, mm-hmm. with Jesus, the author of the passing on of life, then everybody will inherit the privilege of living under Jesus, just like everybody inherited the problem of living under Adam. For an eternal lesson of how bad sin really is. And that's real true justice because that gives everybody a real chance. Let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 to 4. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and come unto the knowledge of the truth. All right, now first of all, Jonathan, this is interesting because we, we always talk about, from a Christian perspective, we always talk about the idea that believe on Jesus and you will be saved. Right. Okay, and, and that's it reflected yeah. in Romans ten thirteen. Exactly. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. So, it, But the Timothy scripture says it backwards. Whoever, it's different. He it's flipped. Will, right. Have all men to be saved... And then come unto the knowledge of the truth. And it's interesting because all men do not come unto Jesus now. No. And so what it's saying is be saved, and I think what that's meaning is be ransomed, just like in Romans 5, right? Yep. And come to a knowledge of the truth. What does it mean for them to come to a knowledge? Because all men, we're saying, means the whole world of mankind. Well, Rick, that word knowledge in the Greek means full discernment. There's no question. It's a complete understanding. Every man, woman, and child will have that understanding. And I think that is incredibly significant in light of the Romans 5 scripture because it's talking about the idea of how things work together between the two aspects of salvation. The Christian calling the Christians to God through Jesus, their reward is heavenly. Mm-hmm. And then, then the rest of the world who needs the mediator later through those faithful Christians. So there's a whole different role that gets played here. Jonathan, uh, let's go to the phones. All right. Well, we have Beth from Tennessee. Good morning, Beth, and welcome to Christian Questions. Hey, good morning, guys. How are you? Doing well. How are you? Good. I just want to make one really quick point. Um, You know, this crazy story about Sheriff Joe Blow, (laughs) I mean, I just have to laugh. This, you know, we're not talking about uh, a man coming down. We're talking about Jesus was a man, but Jesus was God. Jesus came down as fully human, fully divine, because that was required to defeat sin, to defeat death, and to redeem mankind. We we can't do that for ourselves. Joe Blow's son can't, you know. So I just wanted to make the point that, you know, God didn't send anybody, I mean... God came himself in the form of Jesus. Jesus is God. You get into the Trinity and all that's mind-blowing. But anyway, Jesus was God. So that was the only point I wanted to make. (laughs) All right, Beth. Appreciate it very much. Take care. Okay, bye. Bye Bye-bye. And, and, you know, Jonathan, one one of the things in in relation to that is, uh, and, and, you know, I, I I see this differently because here's the thing. God works on the basis of justice. And justice required, as the scripture is saying, man for a man. Mm-hmm. And when it talks about the man Christ Jesus, I think that's exactly what it means. Um, we're not going to get into that as a, as a major discussion here, but I think that's an important point about the justice of God. And when we understand that the justice of God required a perfect sacrifice to, of, of humanity to cancel out the perfect human who... Uh, chose. See, Eve didn't choose. Eve was deceived. Yes. 
Adam chose to follow the wrong path. There was no deception. He made the conscious choice, and we all inherited the mess. To, from the standpoint of God's justice, I think that, that the humanity for humanity really, really makes the point even more clear than, than any other way of looking at it. So, but Beth, we really truly appreciate, as always, we appreciate your thoughts and your input. It's it's important to hear uh, everybody's uh, perspectives and points of view here. And and Jonathan, real quick, we we're not going to go into the scripture, but Romans uh, five nine through ten, it talks about there are two paths of salvation in this verse. And the first, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through Him. And that's the path of the unbeliever has to pass through wrath through the great day of judgment. They have trouble ahead. There's no question about it. And then the other path is what? Having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. The reconciliation already occurred in relation to those who are following after Jesus. So when we see the paths of salvation, they are different because the paths chosen by the individuals are different. And that's a big, big part of this. Nobody, nobody, nobody gets a free ride. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, Jesus died, so who benefits? Coming up, Jesus' character says, love your enemies. Do traditional Christian teachings support that concept in judgment? Why not? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. Welcome back. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, Jesus died, so who benefits? To be a part of our program, call toll-free 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. That means we're on right now. And our website, ChristianQuestions.com. And Jonathan, as we continue with this subject, it is a, a difficult subject. Um, we are presenting a, a point of view that is not necessarily orthodox amongst many Christians. Mm-hmm. But what we're, the reason we're presenting this particular point of view is because we truly believe that it is scriptural. We truly believe that that's what the scriptures harm, harmoniously tell us in terms of the, the idea of Jesus dying as a ransom for all. An Old and New Testament working together in harmony. Yeah, and, and so the idea, the bottom line is, uh, because we're going to be um, we're just down to one segment, the idea is that those who follow after Christ are given all of the promises of heaven that, that we all recognize in Scripture. The rest of everybody else is not. They're not given those same promises, but they are given a promise. Jesus came, he says, I came to restore that which was lost. Mm-hmm. Heaven wasn't lost. No. Heaven was never an option for humanity. What was lost? The perfect world. And the prophecies, especially the Old Testament prophecies, point to that perfect world as being restored for the rest of humankind. So yes, is it worth being a Christian and following if you're called to follow after Christ? Oh yeah. Absolutely. Because now you are part of the of the mediatorial reign of Jesus. Helping out. Right. You are because you have been crystallized already versus having to go through wrath like that last scripture talked about. Uh, let, actually, let's go to the phones before we go back to uh, Sheriff Joe for one last time. All right. Well, we have Randall from Connecticut. Good morning, Randall, and welcome to Christian Questions. Good morning. Happy Sunday, guys. To you, too. And we have John 32. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. In the Old Testament, blood sacrifices are done in private for Israel, with Abraham alone or in the temple. Jesus sheds his blood in full view 
high on the cross. Psalm 22, 30, 31. Future generations will be told about the Lord and proclaim his deliverance to a people yet unborn. The Christian's job is to witness that the cross is the victory over death, that whatever trials we overcome in this life, this final win is open to all. Acts twenty twenty eight. Keep watch over yourselves and over all the flock that he obtained with the blood of his own. Randall, thanks so much. We appreciate it. God bless you guys. Take care. It is a ransom for all. And, and you know, the interesting thing about it, Jonathan, is that um, do you... Uh, I won't say you because you're a follower of Christ, but does the average person want to be born into sin and have that inheritance? Of course not. Of course not, but they get it because they get it. because that's They have no choice. Right. The same thing applies to the ransom price of Jesus for the whole world. They have no choice but to gain the benefit of it, and then they decide what to do with the benefit. So the benefit is going to be given just like the problem was given. But they're accountable after it's given. And that is where their choice comes in. And if you decide you don't want it, then okay, eternal death, that's fine. But you have to, you, each individual, has to make that choice. And I think that's the beauty of it. Now, having said that, and that that's the beauty of it, let's go back to Sheriff Joe. Uh, Fred, let's go back there one last time, and then we'll be done with him forever. Yay. forever. Of course, 2,000 years later, humans are still dying. If a book tells you that a wise and loving God would behave in a way similar to Sheriff Joe Blow, should you believe it? What does your critical thinking tell you? Here's what my critical thinking tells me. My critical thinking tells me, let's look at Acts chapter 3, verses 19 to 21, and answer that question directly. Therefore, repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus Christ appointed for you, whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things, about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from ancient time. So, my critical thinking tells me that the Bible says not to worry. Yes, men are still going to be dying. At the writing of this, it says there's going to come a time later at the return of Jesus during the, that will be the period of restoration of all things. Now, when you're restoring something, that means there was something there once before. Yes, it, the, it the perfect fell, world. It fell apart. It, it, it do, didn't function well. Right. But when you restore it, you bring it back to its original form. Exactly. That's what this scripture means. So, my critical thinking says, Mr. Sheriff Joe, and all of your, your fun little story, that the plan of God is yet unfolding. So, do not judge the artist by his unfinished work. Because his work is more magnificent than any of us can even begin to imagine. Uh, Jonathan, let's go to Romans eight nineteen to 23, because it's verified in Romans, again, that those who don't believe have an opportunity. And this is a different chapter, a different set of reasoning, but the same conclusion. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. Now... What, what are they waiting for? Do, 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 do the people of the world look around and say, oh, I just can't wait till the sons of God are, are, are faithful and they all go to heaven? I don't think that's what they're thinking. But, they're, but they know something's wrong and they're waiting for something better. They're looking for an answer to the mess that the world is in. Yes. And the revealing of the sons of God is going to be that mediatorial reign that we talked about that will reveal the answers. For the creation was subjected to futility. Sin. Not willingly. But because of him who subjected it. It's 
God who subjected them to, to sin. Why? In hope. Aha! In hope, because there's something future coming. That the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. You have the two aspects of salvation shown there again. The freedom of the glory of the children of God, that's a given, that's different. But this creation, the rest of the world, gets the benefits of Jesus' sacrifice at a different time, in a slightly different way, but it all comes under Jesus. That's the point. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. So it's, it's comparing the two. And it's saying both are waiting, but we're waiting with different expectations. That's right. But we're waiting and we're all going to receive something that is very, very clearly set forth by God through Jesus. Second Peter 2.9 Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. So again, we want to stress that when, while we believe that all mankind comes under this ransom, the gift of God of Jesus Christ, all man comes under that, that those who are not following after Christ right now, those who are not faithful unto death and being given a crown of life, are going to have to go through a difficult time, a time of judgment, a time of a accountability, a time where they are going to have to decide to follow righteousness. And that's only, Rick, under full disclosure right. of understanding. Right, from that First Timothy 4.10 scripture that we yes. talked about earlier. And, you know, again, just to, to stress the point one last time about the difficulty of the time of judgment, this is a great scripture, Matthew 10.15. Truly I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. And that city, meaning a city that heard the, the, the preaching of Jesus. And saw the miracles. And rejected him anyway. Yes. But the fact is that it's more tolerable in the day of judgment, which means that the day of judgment is not a day of a final... Uh, there, there's not torture and torment in the day of judgment. Folks, that's not scriptural. That's the subject for another day. That day of judgment is a time of accountability. And the fact that you have more tolerability for one than the other indicates that one was further off than the other. And how bad was Sodom and Gomorrah? Pretty bad. <laughs> okay? But there's hope in both cases. Right. That's the point. So, Jonathan, before we get into some final prophecies, let's just sum this up. What we say is that Jesus Christ died as a ransom for all to be testified in due time. What we mean by that is that Jesus, as a man, had to die as a replacement for the man, Adam. So a ransom is a, a perfect equivalent. Corresponding price. Yes. So if it was a man, Adam, that died, it had to be, according to the justice of God, a man, Jesus, that died in his place. Why? So that all of Adam's posterity who inherited sin and death could now inherit the opportunity for life. Did he have to die? Yes. Why? Because that was the sentence. He had to be able, and God would raise him up again. So God sent his only son to die in the place of Adam, to do the, the, the human work that could only be done through perfection. And that is a magnificent gift 
given to all mankind. Now, what's the end result of that? Listen to this. Micah chapter 4, verses 1 to 5. And it will come about in the last days that the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains. It will be raised above the hills, and the peoples will stream to it. Now, this is a prophecy given in the Old Testament, but where is it taking place? Is this in heaven? No. This, this is on earth. This is, it's talking about mountains. It's talking about peoples and nations. Continue. Many nations will come and say, Come, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord and to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us about his ways and that we may walk in his paths. So who is seeking after God here? Is it Christians? No. No, it's the other peoples of the world. Go ahead. For from Zion will go forth the law, even the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between many peoples and render decisions for mighty, distant nations. And see, from Zion, Zion, the, 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 the followers of Christ are pictured in Zion along with Jesus. Remember Mediator? Remember inheriting the, 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 the promise to yes. bless all the nations of the earth? Advocate? Well, no, no, that's the mediator. The, the okay. advocate, we have the advocate, they have the mediator. That's right. That's okay, right. so Zion is representative of Jesus and his true followers. So the benefits of righteousness, uh, of righteous judgment, are the, the nations of the world. Then they will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation, and never again will they train for war. Okay, just pause there for a second, because isn't that the desire and the wish of all humanity? Beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks, and never train for war again? Ever. And that's why in the Roman scripture it says the, the creation longs for the manifestation of the sons of God because they are pictured in Zion. So you see, they're coming and they are saying, they are teaching. We, if we are faithful, are teaching the nations to put down the weaponry and live in righteousness. That's a thrill. That's beautiful. That's the power of the ransom of the perfect man Jesus for the perfect man Adam. Continue. Each of them will sit under his vine and under his fig tree. With no one to make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. Though all the peoples walk, each in the name of his God, as for us, we walk in the name of the Lord, our God, forever and ever. All of this is what Jesus paid for on earth. That is, that's one of many prophecies. And Jonathan, just very quickly, let's touch on Isaiah 42, 1-4. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. Okay, Jesus will bring forth justice to the nations. He will, he, a bruised reed he will not break, and a dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. He will faithfully bring forth justice. So there is opportunity, and there's accountability, and there's justice. He will not be disheartened or crushed until he has established justice in the earth, and the coastlands will wait expectantly for his law. So that's another prophecy that explains to us the power of the ransom price of Jesus. So, folks, this can in some ways be a complicated subject because you're dealing with all these scriptures and all these prophecies. We started talking about blood and, and its sacredness and all of that. But really, break it down to the simplicity of this. The simplicity of Adam sinned. Adam chose to live a life of sin by following after the advice of Satan. Therefore, we all inherit that. Jesus came, perfect man for perfect man, lived life fully and completely and faithfully, and then gave it up. And God considered that the corresponding price. Therefore, everyone who experienced the sinfulness of Adam's choice experiences the grace of Jesus' choice. 
It just comes in different ways and different stages for different people. For Jonathan and Rick, it's Christian Questions. We hope you've enjoyed being with us this morning. It's been a tough one, but we sure enjoyed being with you. Don't forget to check us out on Facebook. Leave your comments there. But until next time, until next week, Jesus died. Who benefits? We think everyone. Until next week, think about it.